HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with a wonderfully special guest, near and dear to my heart, at least, John Doc Sconzo. And I can say that name, and you can Google that name, and there is no <laughs> restaurant associated with that. Not but one. most every chef that I know, I can mention that name too, and they're like, oh yeah, Doc. <laughs> we all know Doc. How did you become Doc? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, it goes back. I mean, a I'm a doctor. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Show is over. <laughs> <laughs> but how did I get to be Doc Scons? Is a whole another story. And food has been a part of my life ever since I was born, but in varying degrees. Anyway, fast forward to 2003. Um, I was supposed to go to China on a. I'm an anesthesiologist. I was supposed to go on an anesthesia trip, a people-to-people trip to China in, in the spring of 2003. And you may recall, maybe not, that it was the height of the SARS epidemic over in China. Just prior to that trip, I came down with a pretty nasty respiratory bug. There's no way in hell I was going to go to China at that point with a pre-existing respiratory bug because, A, I didn't know if I'd get in, and, B, I didn't know if I'd get out if I did get in. So I had a couple of weeks off from work, nothing to do, not feeling so great, just hanging out, uh, surfing the Internet. And I came across, for the second time, uh, a website, a culinary discussion forum, that the first time I came across it, I really didn't have the time to, to explore it very much and or very deeply and so I kind of ignored it but this time I found it again and at the time I had been mildly involved in chow hounds and but this this time it really piqued my uh, my interest and curiosity and I had the time to really get into it and I just 
really dove into it, and it, it just swallowed me up. Uh, it was called eGullet. At that time, it was eGullet.com. Subsequently became the eGullet Society for Culinary Arts and Letters, eGullet.org. Well, to make a long story short, I got into it, started posting my opinions. I was, of course, I had many opinions. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? Um, and my wife and I would start going to restaurants, and uh, the chefs would recognize the name. They'd recognize the face because you had to have a little picture to go with the uh, with the words. Um, and it was kind of fun. And then we would go on trips with the Culinary Institute of America, and I would document them. And so it just kept building upon itself. Um, I became involved as a host in the New York region and a couple other uh, areas, and uh, I just got swallowed up. But, yeah. I mean, it was fun. You know, that's what was so amazing about that community, eGullet. Um, I, I, you must have had great friends that came out to there. You know, came out of that uh, that Absolutely. forum, um, like JJ Good, who is a JJ. prolific cookbook writer. Now, I remember seeing his name on those threads. I remember seeing your name, obviously Stephen Shaw, who started the whole thing. But it was a place where, yes, you can say opinionated, but it, it was <laughs> that's a, a different one. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was a voice. <laughs> like it gave you a voice that wasn't a, a critic, wasn't what Yelpers do today. It, it was so constructive. Uh, such wonderfully thoughtful criticism and intrigue, uh, unlike any forum that I had seen before. Plus, it was I was there in the right place at the right time. So many people became involved in, in the food world, both established people as well as people with just like myself who just were enthusiasts or interested. But out of all of those people, many of them, just the, out of the enthusiasts, went on to really excellent professional careers in the food world, whether it be in the world of cocktails, people like Don Lee, uh, John Derrigan, both of whom were heavily involved with PDT. Um, they started out just as purely enthusiasts. Okay, now Don Lee is with Cocktail Kingdom. That's his baby. Um uh, doing pretty well. I mean, got to meet people like Audrey Saunders. And in the food world, we had um, Ferran Adria on for an interview. Uh, it was, and, but it was an interview where everybody could participate. Okay, so you didn't have to, it wasn't just one person. I mean, everybody could send in their, their questions. It was, it was very cool. And <clears throat> indirectly, too, that's how we met, too, because I wound up, um, a friend of mine, Joe Bavuso, who was on eGullet, I was visiting him one September weekend week and I had the week off and he said, Hey John, there's an event going on here. I saw it in the newspaper right up your alley. It's called the star chefs, international chefs Congress. And you know, so see if you get a press pass, you know, I'd never had a press pass before. So, but I checked in with them and with, with the backing of eGullet, I got my media pass there. And it was the biggest blast I've ever had. It was so much fun. The energy there. Uh, the people, such as yourself. Okay. Yeah, and this was 2006, their yes. inaugural. Right. And it was a little, like, high school auditorium on, in Chelsea, you know, the meatpacking district. Uh, uh, you know, it was, the space was nothing incredible, but the energy was really there. Uh, and I was accepted by the chefs, the people. I mean, George Mendez, uh, who owns Aldea and Lupolo now. He, at that time, he was the um, the demo, the, the kitchen chef, doing all the prep work, et cetera, for the chefs for their demos, et cetera. Um, 
and it's just it's such a wonderful environment and energy. And it just once again, I got got hooked into it, and um, I, I've subsequently made every single uh, Star Chefs International Chefs Congress since, and I'm still the only person to have photographed every single one. <laughs> yeah, I, I donned that crown. I think I did like six, seven years in a row and then took a year off because I knew it was in good hands. <laughs> but, you know, Star Chefs, uh, you've been to Madrid Fusion, uh, you know, Miss America, Boku du Or, all these amazing conventions around the world that are food and chef focused. Um, I mean, prior to eGullet, were you cooking yourself? Were you reading cookbooks, going out to the illustrious restaurants that I know you tick off your list these days? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I did a little bit of cooking before that. My wife actually did the bulk of the cooking at home in those days. And uh, But since all of this, I've really gotten into cooking a whole lot more myself, and, and we share those duties. Um, so I, I actually cook a lot more now than I used to. And now... Cooking versus eating out, because I know you also have uh, the moniker of eating at at least half of the top 50 restaurants in the world right now. I, I, I do my share. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you find yourself saving those for special occasions or is that is that almost a metered part of your life work balance these days? Well, it's something that I've really come to enjoy and appreciate. Uh, I, I love the creativity and I love the creativity involved in one of life's essential needs, which is food and eating. Uh, and I've been very fortunate to get to know and, and be familiar with many of the uh, world's greatest chefs and the most creative chefs. And uh, it's it's just been an absolute uh, blessing and pleasure. I mean, obviously, having attended these these wonderful you know congresses and seminar, you take a lot in, you learn a lot, but. What is it that you're trying to give back? Because you, you are such a wonderfully kind and generous person, and you just emanate this this kind of lovingness about food and chefs and restaurants. Um, I've never seen you as someone who's just there. I've seen you as a very vital cog to what goes on in the larger culinary world. But where do you find yourself in it, and what do you want to do with it? Well, yeah, thank you very much, first of all. Um, that's That's a very, very kind compliment. Um, and that means a lot to me. Uh, where do I find myself? I mean, I, I don't really see myself as being anything other than an enthusiast um, who, I, I mean, I, with, with a small voice amongst many voices. And I like to um, highlight and emphasize the positive aspects of the of the food world. And, and I, that's why I say I consider myself an enthusiast, not a critic. It's not to say I'm not critical. But, um, you know, it's who am I to go into and, and have one meal that maybe it didn't, you know, just really didn't blow me away and, and tear somebody a new asshole for that? No. I, um, I, I, that, that, that makes no sense whatsoever Every, either. And it's, there's so much that goes into enjoying a meal. And it's not just the kitchen. It's not just the service. It's not just the location. The diner, him or herself, brings an awful lot to the table. Okay, so it's it's hard to say whether if if I'm not blown away by a meal, whether it's the meal itself or some baggage that I brought to the table. Okay, so it's now. It's a different story if if a restaurant uh, does something that really is, you know, 
pisses me off. That's a different issue. Okay, but to to just say that it's I'm not blown away by a meal is not sufficient for me to, you know. But on the other hand, if I am blown away, that's what I'm there for. From the mountaintops. But I I love that you gave weight to the diner in this situation because it's it's a service. It's a servile industry. And yes, uh, restaurants are there to give you this amazing experience. But you have to be such a complimentary part of that to, one, enjoy it, but just to be a part of it. Absolutely. Um, and I think so many people walk into a restaurant with such expectations of what a restaurant should be and what the food should taste like rather than just be part of it. Like, h- how do you separate being, uh, um, I, I know you don't want to call yourself a critic, but having a critical eye towards that industry and just kind of soaking it in? Well, a, a lot of that comes into. You know, I, I do go to a restaurant to enjoy it. That's my, my primary purpose, to experience it and to enjoy it. Now, w- enjoying it can be on many different levels, okay? There's the, the visceral component of enjoyment, the sheer pleasure of eating delicious and beautiful food, okay? That's that's one thing. Then there's the cerebral, the intellectual aspect, and and they don't always mesh, Okay, sometimes the, you know, great ideas and great concepts uh, aren't necessarily the most delicious and viscerally enjoyable. It still has its place. Okay, I mean, clearly the deliciousness is, is, takes greatest weight, but when you combine the two, wow, that's what's really special. Well, we're going to take a quick break, come back and talk about your top 25 dining experience of 2016 what you're excited for this year, and, you know, how to travel with the dock around the world. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by Chef's Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chef's Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chef's Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chef's Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chef's Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with John Doc Sconzo, or Doc Scons to you e-gulliters out there. <laughs> um, a new part of your life is DocSconsTravel.com. And what's so cool is you've taken these experiences, traveling around the world, eating at some of the best restaurants, intimately knowing these chefs, and you've turned this into kind of culinary tourism for others to experience through the lens of you. Well, I, that's what we're certainly trying to do. And, and you know, we have um, 
our, the, the phrase that goes along with our fledgling business is travel with Doc. Okay. Uh, and it came it was born out of the idea that, okay, people would say, oh, man, you guys, you go to such great places and eat. I want to, you know, I want to do that too. And it says, well, now you can. Okay. And so putting together trips, um, culinary-oriented trips to various locations, the United States and Europe, primarily at this point, uh, but looking to expand that Mexico, South America, eventually Asia, uh, et cetera. I have, I have a business partner, uh, Charles Grubitsky, who comes from, uh, who's a, very much of a culinary enthusiast and uh, spirits enthusiast like myself, who comes from a travel background. Uh, and he also does separate trips with, um, based on, uh, uh, he has one coming up to Bourbon in Kentucky. He did uh, Scotland. He's gonna, got one to Eastland uh, coming up, uh, Irish whiskey recently. But together we're doing these culinary trips. We have New Orleans coming up at the end of March, where it's just going to be four nights, four very intense nights. And I'm working with chefs. I'm working with, in New Orleans, working with uh, Alex Harrell and Michael Golotta, um to put together uh, an itinerary that's not just eating and drinking, but gives a little bit more of a background to and have these chefs be involved and show us a little bit of their location, what makes Norrell and special for them. Uh, and so they're, they're a major part of, of this trip. Uh, we're going to mix it up with, of course, you think New Orleans, you have to think cocktails, too. Uh, so I'm working with Abigail Golo to uh, do a little cocktail demo as well as a little cocktail crawl, jazz, uh, the whole the whole nine years. So trying to, it's immersive. It's a big – it's a 360. It's an in-the-round culinary tour. But really compact. Yeah. Four nights, you know, just – Boom. <laughs> That's a, so what's your go-to Sazerac place down there? Oh, oh man. Go-to Sazerac place. I mean, there's so many. I, I, mean, I mean, for any of the traditional cocktails, I'm a big fan of Chris McMillan, who now has his own place, uh, uh, Revel, uh, which I haven't been to yet. Uh, but, I mean, he's, when, when it comes to the classic cocktails, he's the man. Talk about like new classics and, and looking forward to another trip of yours, New York City. Uh, what you've curated with Daniel Hume and Will Gadara, it's, it's such a, a kind of nuanced New York that a lot of people don't get the experience. Absolutely. It's, I, I think it's going to be a very special weekend. It's, uh, we're calling it uh, Make It Nice Weekend. And it revolves entirely around the whole EMP universe. Um, spending two nights at um, the Nomad Hotel. First night, Friday night, a little cocktail reception, dinner at the Nomad, and then, you know, kind of chill. People could do what they want after that. Saturday morning, a private food in art tour of the Metropolitan Museum of Art with a great young uh, art historian, uh, preservationist, uh, is a, a friend of mine, followed by uh, lunch at Made Nice, which is not yet open, but should will be opening shortly. The new uh, casual restaurant from uh, the Make It Nice group, uh, Daniel and, and Will. And then we go to back to um, the Nomad for a cocktail workshop, Okay, where we're going to sit down and have uh, learn all about Variations on the Manhattan, which I think is perfect for a New York City weekend. And then if taking a little break to recover from that, final uh, dinner at 11 Madison Park. Um, 
and so it's it's a special weekend. This is happened was going to be early June, just before they close for their renovations, and before they move out to uh, to where they're going to do their little pop up, etc. But this is sort of like a last opportunity for any Eleven Madison Park fans or wannabe fans to catch the EMP as it currently exists. Because when they come back at the end of the summer, it's going to be a very different space. Yeah, I mean, talk about. The now, the zeitgeist of New York essence distilled. Uh. That that is what that trip is, and not to you know try to sell people on this, but knowing you and knowing the people that you're involved with, um, if you're have ever considered doing a trip like this, I think traveling with Doc might be the way to do so. Thank you. Um, on top of that, Osteria Franchin. Francescana, I always mispronounce that. Massimo Batura, who's lauded as the number one restaurant in the world right now. Well, I, I was at um, the World's 50 Best uh, Awards this past year and and the after party, which was at 11 Madison Park, dancing on the credenza with Massimo <laughs> and Will and, and it just... It was just a Daniel. It was just an amazing, wild, wonderful evening. Uh, Massimo is one of my absolute favorite people in the world. Well, um, we have a trip. We're in the planning stages for November uh, to a northern Italy trip a week from Milan to Modena uh, with uh, a, a very special meal at Osteria Francescana as part of the trip. Uh, it's, it's something I'm really excited about, really proud to, to be doing. Uh, taking a, a group to the world's 50 best number one restaurant in the world. And then you're planning Barcelona, too. And I kind of want to leave that for last just because, well, you have my favorite city in the world, Albert Adria. <laughs> and because I was looking at your list of the top 25 dining experience of 2016 and then counting down from number one, I think Quique da Costa, Spain, Amazing. El Solar de Can Roca, Spain. Amazing. I mean, EMP, then tickets, Spain. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. The place in Cadiz in southern Spain that you were telling me. Aponiente? Spain. What is Spain to you? I mean, what is so amazing about the culinary universe there? It's an absolutely astounding place, primarily because it's an interesting history. And I think a lot of it has to do with coming out of the Franco years. Um, Under Franco, a lot of the traditions were kind of around the country, especially the regional traditions, were kind of stamped, if not stamped out, really stamped down. Um, so when he was gone and Nouvelle Cuisine was taking over a lot of the rest of the world, there was a little bit of a void in Spain, which allowed for the growth of La Vanguardia, okay, uh, Ferran Adria, uh, you know, um, foremost amongst, uh, amongst them. Starting, of course, in, the, in San Sebastian, in the, ba- in the Basque country, etc., but, but really reaching its uh, apogee with, uh, with Ferran at El Bouilly. What's interesting, too, is as that started flourishing and bringing people to Spain looking for that, underneath that, we had a reflowering of all the Spanish culinary traditions, too. So right now, I don't think there's a country in the world that has the mix of traditional and vanguard cooking styles and that meshes as well from one to the other as Spain. And I've been very fortunate over the past 10 years to get to know a very wide swath of the country. I've been all over the country, even very well, mostly traveling with my friend Jerry Dawes. Um, and it's just been spectacular. And, and Albert Audrey mentioned specifically to me, he is just the most amazing, not just chef, but restaurateur. Because he has these disparate 
styles of restaurants. Okay, he has a Mexican place, a, a, a Nikkei Peruvian place. He has Bodega Nineteen Hundred, which is um, sort of an old time Spanish vermuteria. He has tickets. Now he has Enigma. He has a place in a Heart in Ibiza, which is seasonal, etc. But they're all different, yet they're united under his. Um, uh, ages and, and stylistically they're related. You know, they they all incorporate at least some element of vanguardia, but also without missing the traditional components. I mean, Bodega 1900 is one of the best Spanish, purely Spanish, traditional Spanish restaurants anywhere. The quality is amazing. And it's just this little place. It's so much fun. And yet there are still these little elements of the of the Adria vanguardism, such as the spherical olives, which never, ever fail to amaze me. So however many people you're taking on that trip, minus one because I'm booking myself, <laughs> I will be there. But, you know, all this from a guy who was just Ferran's pastry chef for years. His brother, too. I know. But, I mean, thought of yeah. as, you know, somebody that was just in that kitchen has open up Spain to this wealth of, of dining experiences. But it's not to say that this stuff doesn't happen here in the States as well. Oh, it does. Because on your list, Pineapple and Pearls, Washington, D.C. Um, sadly, Bedney, which has recently closed, what you know, Eamon and, and Bryce were doing there was just stunning. Love the place. Smith and the Loyalists in Chicago. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, John Shields, uh, I've been waiting for that restaurant for a long time, ever since uh, we went to Townhouse in little old Chilhowee, Virginia, uh, back there. And, and we're, my wife and I and some family members were blown away by the creativity and the deliciousness, and really in the middle of nowhere. Now, John and Karen did not develop their skills in the middle of nowhere. They really grew up culinarily in Chicago. Uh, Trotters, Alinea, you know, etc. Et so, um, but Townhouse closed uh, quite a few years ago, and the Shields were had a few possibilities that they were working on here and there, and but nothing that ever really came to fruition until this. Uh, and so, uh, they opened in. Uh, Smith in the beginning of September or the end of August, and I wound up going at the end of uh, September. Uh, and it was one month in. It was already spectacular. And would you consider them more traditionalist or vanguard, or are they the kind of couple that blends that same idea as Spain? Well, they, they certainly blend. Um, they certainly, they, they're not afraid to use vanguardist techniques. But one thing that's happened is uh, is with the vanguard in general is back <clears throat> 10 years ago or so technique was first and foremost that was what was featured you know i'd go to madrid fusion and it was everything was what were the latest techniques that's not so much the case anymore it's not that the techniques are not there they're not or that they're not being used they're now the a they become more accepted Okay, and more in the background. They're, they're more standardized, in a way. Um, so it's a question, it's really now more a question of artistic expression and how those techniques are being used to achieve deliciousness and beauty on a plate. Then tell me what's so beautiful about hell chicken at Achilles' heel. <laughs> uh, the flavor. Oh, God, it was so, the juiciness. The, the sheer unexpectedness of the voluptuous chicken that 
just moments before was hanging from a string above a fire. I mean, it was so good. It's as good, as wonderful a roast chicken as I've ever had. And while I'd heard some good things about it, I couldn't. I had no idea it was going to be as good as it was. And, I mean, talking from a technique standpoint, nothing fancy other than open flame. Not that I could see. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a, <laughs> he looks like a blacksmith back there. I mean, yeah. it's just... It's almost medieval the way these chickens are strung up over the fire, but yeah, it just it resonates in in this very powerful way. I mean, I imagine that there are some elements of you know the 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 chickens themselves, the quality and how they prepare them before they put them on the fire. Maybe the fire itself, modulating it, the height. It's a, you know, it's definitely an art, um, or certainly a well honed craft. What they're doing, uh, but I was I was blown away by how really wonderful it was and again i was wasn't really ex- expecting i was expecting it to be good but not life-changing see we've talked a lot about your dining experience but i want to talk a little bit about your cooking because <laughs> I-, I love looking at your instagram not only for the wines that you're drinking and i, I one day want to visit that <laughs> cellar but the big green egg and love. and uh you know your sous vide what kind of equipment do you have at your house and what kind of recipes do you try to take away from a restaurant and recreate? Well, I'm not a recipe cook. My wife is a great recipe cook. She can cook anything by recipe. I mean, I have we have cookbooks and I'll, I'll I get inspiration from the meals I've had, you know, glancing at cookbooks and and just having something and and just the ingredients that I have at hand. And I like to, I love to play. And so, sometimes it actually comes out pretty well. Um, not always. <laughs> but as, as far as the toys, I mean, I love my big green egg. There are three things that I really love to cook with. My big green egg, cast iron pans, and a CVAP. That CVAP is the only really unusual piece of equipment that I have in my house. And a CVAP is sort of like a, a sous vide machine without the plastic. Okay, I mean, it's, it's an... It, temperature-controlled cooking, humidity-controlled cooking, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. It was actually developed, uh, I hate to say this, for the um, uh, food, the fast food industry, in particular Kentucky Fried Chicken. But it, it's a wonderful thing. It works. Um, we did not go the sous vide uh, route because of concerns about plastic leaching and whatever. I mean, there may or may not be validity to it, but with this, it doesn't matter. <laughs> immersion circulator yeah 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 i was assuming so just because i know those came out of uh kind of the medical world more so than the culinary In, industrial world, world. In, industrial. industrial world yeah. but when you're at the hospital do you ever kind of look around at all the equipment and like that might be good for this no i'm not <laughs> saying like a defibrillator would be good to kind of tenderize a, a piece of meat but do, do you ever see crossover in your medical life and, and your culinary life? I, I try to keep them separate. <laughs> <laughs> so you never use anesthesiology on, on live fish? <laughs> uh, personally, no. Uh, although I've seen it done at Star Chefs. So. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? The Ikajima? The, exactly. That, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, you, Dave you, Arnold. <laughs> you, have, you have a wonderful trip coming up, kind of. And this caps you as a person. Uh, uh, Noma, you know, which was the number one restaurant in the world for years. Still one of the greatest uh, ever. Copenhagen has done uh, pop-ups in Tokyo and Australia and is now doing their next in Mexico. How excited are you for that trip, and how do you prepare yourself mentally and and stomachly Hmm. (laughs) to experience that at its fullest? Well, um, we 
missed the uh, the Japan and Australia uh, pop ups, uh, much to uh, my chagrin. Uh, but coming so close to home, Tulum, it's a place I've been wanting to go anyway. I, I it worked out. We were able to do it, and so I, Mexico is a country that's near and dear to my heart, uh, both in terms of the food, the drink, the people, the everything about it. It's a wonderful place, and that's going to be on our list of places to go in the near future as well. Uh, so when it came to being in Tulum, and I could, I could do it time-wise. Yeah, it was a it was a no brainer as long as I was able to get actually get the table. Uh, so I'm very excited to do that. How do I prepare for it? Just go in there with an open mind and enjoy it. You know, I, I've always regaled in your stories. I loved hearing about your experiences, read your blog and still do. And I've always said to myself, you know, just take me with you. And the fact that there's that opportunity now, <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that. Please do. I'd love to have you. I mean, you. Oh, we're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And maybe I'll see you at Star Chefs again someday. Indeed. Doc, thank you so much. And if you don't know Doc, check out DocScons.com or DocSconsTravel.com and book a trip today. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Big thank you to Chef's Collaborative, music by Cookies and David Tattashore Engineering. And one more thing. If you are not a member of HeritageRadioNetwork.org, become one today. I've been doing this show for almost seven years now. 300 plus episodes and it's listeners like you that allow me to actually have some consistency in my life i know where to be every tuesday at three but i get to talk to great people like doc and so many others so please become a member and uh maybe one day you'll become a guest cheers for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.